America's founding fathers believed their vision, the city upon a hill, could only succeed with a special people in a special place. Over 240 years later, we the people, our American story is still unfolding. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. You will be uplifted, inspired, proud, and humbled to call yourself an American. American history is more than history. It's personal. America is another name for opportunity. Our whole history appears like a last effort of divine providence on behalf of the human race. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Episode 8, Miguel's American Story. Welcome. I'm very excited about today's guest. This is someone that my husband and I have known for many years. How many years? 20 20 20 years. Yes. So I have two guests today. I have my husband, Michael, and then I have another guest, Miguel. Today we are going to talk to Miguel Castroman, who is a very good friend of ours. And like Mike said, we have known him for many years. And before I start this off, I want Mike to tell the story of the first time well, when he met Miguel. I want you to tell that story about your introduction, Mike. Okay, no pressure. Um, <laughs> well, roughly 20 years ago, Tina and I bought our first home. It was a town home, so smaller, and we had a bunch of young couples like us moving in, some with very small children, many of them, many of us, though, without any children yet. And a couple months after we moved in, I noticed two units down from us, Miguel and his wife were moving in. And so I walked the 10 yards to the (laughs) unit where he was walking in and out of, uh, just to say hi and introduce myself. And I said, uh, hello there. How are you? You're moving in. And I hope this doesn't embarrass you, Miguel, but I did, I did sense an accent. I did hear an accent, a slight accent. And I said, oh, okay, my name's Mike. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe not asking it in the right way. I just came out and said, where are you from? Or, or what's your name, I think. And you said, oh, my name is Miguel. And, I, and with your accent, I, th- I thought, oh, okay, Miguel, where are you from? Uh, and you said Germany, <laughs> and the two didn't go together. <laughs> I I don't know if it's a testament of, as to how close-minded I am or uneducated, but I thought, well, there's the new one, Miguel from Germany. <laughs> but I thought I I did thought I thought I I heard a a somewhat European accent too, so I was really confused. And then you told me your story, uh, which I'll let you elaborate on. But I will say from that very first moment I met you, there was something about you that I knew that you were the kind of person that I would want to hang around with. Um, You just had that, you know, that way about you. I don't know, it's hard to explain, but you just kind of know sometimes when you meet a person, you're like, I, I like this guy. And that's how I felt about you immediately. And then several months or a year later, whatever it is, I don't know what it was. Miguel, I know you used to work for a credit card company when you first moved in there. 
And th yeah. the way things turned out, he actually applied for a job where I worked in the healthcare industry. Uh, so we were lucky enough to carpool um, when I could get my behind out of bed early enough. Um, it's still a problem, Miguel. <laughs> <laughs> but we had a lot that. of good times uh, talking in the car, philosophizing, and uh, we, we've got to hang out a bunch. And I just feel very fortunate to still know you after all these years, uh, you and Nicole uh, and your family. And what a great uh, blessing it's been in our lives. Did I do it's, that good enough? You, you did that really It's good. great. So before we tell your story, another interesting fact about Miguel. Miguel is a, what you call it, polyglot? I don't know. I don't even know what I that think that's means. what you call it, a polyglot. I think that is someone who speaks multiple languages. It's a couple languages, yeah. Miguel, how many languages do you speak? So I speak four languages. Okay, and, and uh, English, of course, is one of those. And what so English is one of them. So Spanish, since I was born in Uruguay, and then German, living in Germany, having grown up in Germany, then I served a church mission in Greece. So, and, and then uh, Mike and I, we, we, we joke around a little bit because I speak a little bit of French, not, nothing to be fluent, but I can throw a couple of words in there. And uh, I know Mike is very fluent in French. Many years ago, we used to talk about, I don't know if you knew this, Miguel, if you guys ever discussed this, about how well you two would do on The Amazing Race. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it would be awesome. <laughs> because between the two of you, you could make it through quite a quite Yeah, a, we could. A, maybe we should apply one of these days. I don't know. Hopefully you do well physically, but I, the language barriers would I, be really good. I, I think I'd like behind Miguel physically. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start off. Tell us where Miguel's story starts. So I think, Mike, you know, you, you summarize the story of my life. It's, <laughs> it's so funny because always, you know, um, it always opens up conversation when people ask me, like, do you know where you're from? And then I tell them, hey, my name is Miguel, and I'm from Germany. And it's like, it baffles people, especially people that haven't seen me because, you know, they think people portrayed or they have a picture of a Hispanic in their mind. And then when they see me, it's like, it doesn't fit either because you have a white tall guy with a, with a Latin name. So I have a couple of funny stories about it, but yeah, I was born in Uruguay, a little soccer country in South America there that some people may or may not know. And uh, my, my, uh, my mother's family um, immigrated to South America uh, back in the 1900s. So I have the German side. And then when I was nine years old, we moved back to Germany and I grew up in Germany. Now, just to make things a little more interesting, my full name is Eric Miguel Kastroman Krell, which rhymes, and you have the German and the Hispanic name collection there, and, and the Eric Krell and the Miguel Kastroman. Yeah, and then I served a mission in Greece. So I went to Greece and learned Greek and uh, was able just to, to spend there two years. And then my wife and I, we had met in Germany. She was studying German way back then, and then uh, we just kept the contact alive and then after i was done with my mission you know we um, actually came here to the u.s to meet her we ended up getting married in the u.s but we moved to germany and lived in germany for a little bit and then we moved back to the u.s so it's kind of interesting you know looking at you know what's going on in today's life and so on i mean i i'm like a double immigrant you know i had to migrate to germany having German family, but not being German. It took a lot to adapt because I didn't speak in German. German, it took me a little while just to pick up German. 
and in Germany, I was considered a Uruguayan. So it's like, huh, maybe I'm not German. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, I migrated here to the U.S. And, um, and had to adapt to the U.S. culture. Why did your family immigrate from Germany to Uruguay? So back in the 1900s, a lot of European families and people, they decided just to explore the, the countries, especially South America. It presented like a land of opportunity. A lot of people got into agriculture. I think part of my family was doing, wasn't a caoutchouc business. And um, in Brazil and from Brazil, they went to Uruguay. And then, you know, we lived there for many years until 1978, 1979. My mom's family, for the most part, had all moved back to Germany because of things were tough in Uruguay. And they, they just had gone through dictatorship. It was kind of like on the end tail of dictatorship, but the economy was pretty rough. Um, and whole whole family had moved back to Germany. So we decided just to tag along and move back to Germany. Do you know much about Uruguay? I mean, what it was like when you were living there? I, I'm sure you probably don't remember, but something your mom may have told you. Or... Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when I was 18, I decided to go back to Uruguay for that reason, just to try to find out my own roots, find out to know where I belong to, and, and just understand the history and my history better too, to know where, where I grew up. And so I, I know quite a bit about Uruguay. So when we lived I mean things were not easy my, my mom was a teacher my dad was a shoe repairman um, very humbling uh, upcomings um, and again it was also we were at, at the tail of dictatorship and the reason I'm bringing it up is anybody that doesn't know what what dictatorship is and living dictatorship um, it's pretty tough you know you have to be very careful of who you talk to what do you say from a political aspect um, I know my, my dad would tell me stories about friends being in prison for the length of the dictatorship. I mean, just because of something that they said and offended somebody and you didn't know who your friends were, people would just call on you if they didn't like you and, and just say that you said something bad about the government and, and the next thing you know, you were imprisoned. So things were not easy from that standpoint. So it was not freedom as we like to see it here like in the U.S. But my upcomings were very humbled, you know, just very humbling upcomings. And then uh, moving to Germany, it presented a great opportunity from, um, became almost like land of dreams. I mean, you could buy a little beetle that you couldn't afford in Uruguay. <laughs> and for German standards, it was like, yeah, everybody drives a Volkswagen <laughs> uh, or Mercedes. But then, you know, things were bigger. You know, you could afford more. You had different foods that you could buy. I mean, you can buy clothes. Germany, as you know, has, is a socialist country it's it's a mix but uh, they help you immensely when you when you move to the country especially if you're german citizenship they provided us you know with with help just to start up with with rent with food with clothing everything that you needed basically just to start up in your life they, they provided us with so it was, it was great from that perspective what did you know about america if anything at that time do you know that time to be honest not much i just never it never crossed my mind at least when i was little now growing up in germany you know the perception that you have about the us is like you know us is always involved in in politics and wars there was you know this big country that it was very important and, and everybody was dependent on but on the other hand you know people most people to say the least, would hate America just because they felt like you know, America gets always involved in everything. And, and in Germany, you know, I, I grew up under the Cold War time. So it was interesting to be living 
you know, to Cold War from a, from a German perspective, because you're next to Russia. I mean, you were right there. What do you remember so, about that time? Because, you know, it's so funny. Mike said he remembers oh. being terrified <laughs> of the Cold War. I don't remember that. I guess I was clueless, but did, were you fearful? What were your thoughts during that time? Were you oh, fearful the U.S. was going to send a missile your way? So I think that was part of the whole contention. You, know, you have the U.S. and Russia contentious with each other, but then you have Germany right there that it's like if something happens, we're kind of in the middle we're gone. <laughs> if somebody throws a bomb, it's going to affect Germany one way or another. So, so things were scary. I mean, you know, you, you, you had these two big countries that just, you know, had this contention between each other and you were kind of like in the middle. And so I think Germans, you know, they, they, they were fearful because you didn't know, you know, how things might play out and, and how it could affect, affect Germany too. I mean, I think that's what the Germans and the Europeans felt like, you know, here for the U.S. it's easy to contend with. Russia, because they're far away, it's not going to affect them, but it's going to definitely affect everybody there in Europe and Germany because you're just next door from them. Were you in Bremen at that? Have you always lived in Bremen when you were there? Yeah, so, yep, I always grew up in Bremen. So Bremen's up in the northern part. And uh, Bremen has a lot of, like, you know, World War II history, too. You still mm -hmm. find the bunkers. Well, didn't you say it was close to uh, the, the Netherlands? Yeah, not too far away to the Netherlands and, and close more to the Baltic Sea. Um, and so being close to a port, Bremen got affected tremendously in, in World War II. And so I think in place too, you know, I mean, you still have World War II in, in close to people's minds because it wasn't too long ago that it happened. Uh, I mean, you still find the bunkers, you know, the, the, the shelters that, that Germany built. They're still all over the place there. Uh, and so you have this closeness to what happened back in World War II. And then through the Cold War, you have the fear to know this could happen again, just in a more, much more um, greater aspect. I'm curious. I just got through watching Band of Brothers. Have you ever seen that, the miniseries? Um, I have not. Nope. It's, it's so good. It's a 12-part miniseries, or 10-part, actually. I just watched it this weekend. And it's so good. And that all takes place in Europe. And one of the episodes they come across a concentration camp as a german what's that like so i i have to remind you so i am german but i'm not german <laughs> yes well you know coming so, from your mother yeah, yeah, yeah. or your 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 father right no your mother but your mother from a mom but that's your a mother. great question is that hard for germans yeah and, and the reason i'm saying it's interesting because you know i came from the outside and one thing that at the beginning, when I moved to Germany, I didn't understand, like, you know, why do they keep talking about World War II? Why do they keep talking about, you know, how bad Germany was? Why do they keep talking about, you know, all the bad stuff that happened when Germany had progressed so much? And, you know, the war was, you know, many years ago. I mean, Germany had progressed. And, and, and that's something that it took me a while to understand. And then while I got a little bit older, I understood it's like, you know, the reason why Germans keep teaching that history, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, basically, is because obviously they don't want things to be repeated. And they want people to, to be reminded of, you know, how easily a nation, a nation's mind was brainwashed, basically, you know. So many of the Germans, you know, they have immediate family, their grandparents, or maybe not their parents, but maybe some of the parents, they were, you know, in the youth, you know, Hitler, Jugend, our grandparents, definitely, they were affected one way or another. 
people, the lost people, but also involved actively in, in, in World War II from, from one way or another. So it was very interesting for me and it took me a while to understand, you know, why in classes they kept always talking about just the good, the bad and the ugly basically of Germany. And it was just to remind people so that it doesn't happen again. Well, I think that's an interesting perspective because I think the climate here sometimes feels like people want to erase history. Some of the people that, you know, they don't agree with or we find imperfections in our historical leaders. Um, so that's, that's interesting to hear from you that they, that you, your upbringing is that you, you learned about all of it because... Yeah. As you said, it's important to remember. It's not a great part of history, but it happened. So you, like you said, you know, you cannot erase it. It's part of it. In, in Germany, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, very educated people, you know, I mean, suddenly they were brainwashed. They followed. And so if you think about it, I mean, if you don't, if you're not educated in these days, that it can't happen to anybody. So education is definitely the key of you know, bringing people more to be more united, more understanding of, about each other, uh, embracing each other. Another interesting aspect, you know, when we moved to Germany, after we lived in the US for a while, the kids were little. So for us, it was important to take the kids back to Germany when they were teenagers, so they could see a little more, of, uh, again, just the good, the bad and the ugly. So we, we, we took them to, to one of the concentration camps uh, we also took them to Neuschwanstein, so you have these. Oh yes, there you go. <laughs> these two, you know, very cross differences. You know, these beautiful, you know, Disney castles, and then you have these concentration camps. And obviously, you know, Germany is very advanced. They have, you know, we know that some of the best cars in the world. Uh, but interestingly, you know, we went to the concentration camp. Something that caught all of our attention was how many buses of students that would come, come and go. And again, that kind of reminded us that, that for the Germans, it's important to keep that education alive and remind people of what was done in the concentration camps, what happened in concentration camps, um, making sure that people and the youth knew that it's part of the history so that, that it would not repeat again. So that was very eye-opening. That is so good, Miguel, because I think people here in the United States want to erase slavery. Yeah. But we need to discuss it and we need to we need to talk about it. And I think that's so good. So we could learn a lesson from Germans that way. And when you were at the concentration camps, what does that feel like? Oh man, it's it's hard to not to tear up. I mean it's it's so touching, very emotional, very quiet. I mean, very it's a very uh, special place because you know, you don't know how many thousands of people died there. And then you read the stories of the people. I mean, it's, it's very, very touching. So did it have a big uh, impact on Sophie and Anthony? Do you know, we, we think it did. Definitely did just to, to read the stories of people that when the concentration camps, you know, what they had to go through. It's very touching. And, and uh, we would think that it would have sh that it shaped their personality and being more embracing to of other people, more understanding, more loving, and just being aware of history. So we... That's something that we, you know, that we did in the U.S. too. So we, when we lived in Georgia for a few years, we did go to the plantations, like in the Carolinas, South Carolina, and we did talk to them about, hey, this is what happened. It was part of history, and just had those open conversations about about slavery. And living in Georgia, I mean, 
again, it's different being white, living in Georgia, but there were some parts and we had to, you know, we have um, black friends that we, that had to go through some rough things. And it was very eye-opening for us to understand, to know that, you know, racism hasn't gone away. Um, There's some people in Georgia that you felt like they're still fighting the civil war (laughs) in their minds. And that lack of progression in some places was quite, yeah, quite interesting to see and sad to see too this like you know we should be much further um, advanced as a nation than, than we have and we still have that the lack of education the lack of understanding of each other do you remember when the wall came down and what was that like oh, crap. <laughs> we almost skipped over that miguel <laughs> so that's the other aspect of germany we have these two germanys divided for 40 years or 40 plus years and uh, it was interesting too because we would watch there was a channel i think they call it the black channel we could see it in west germany and it was the east german news basically you know you could see what they were telling the people and it was always awful about how awful america is how awful germany is um how awful yet how how great communism is and so on and we were just like man what are they talking about but that's you know, that's what they fed the people and that's what the people knew. And so when the wall fell, we had a political science class and our teacher took us over. So we went to the other side of the, the you know, to, to West, um, to East Germany and, and we spent some time there. And, and it was, it was like going from a colored picture book to like black and white pictures. I mean, everything was 40 plus years behind. Nothing had been, you know, updated. I mean, the colors were gray. It was like black and white. <laughs> it was so different. That's interesting because, you know, as an American and you get a little bit older, you wonder how much, how much was I brainwashed, right? And so I would hear those things about the communist bloc, that things were a little more drab or a lot more drab. But it's it's good to hear from you, from your eyewitness uh, account, that that's really how it was. I'm sure there are, there are things that uh, would not be accurate in my mind, but you actually got to see it. I even have a little piece of the wall. Really? <laughs> I do, yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, we do. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, he was crass and, um, you know, Germany did a lot of work trying to not just rebuild Germany, but also unify Germany. Again, education is always key because these people had been 40 years behind the wall, fed whatever communism wanted to feed them from, from, a, from an intellect perspective. Uh, so they, the wall comes down and then they see Germany is called diversified. You know, you had from Turkey, you know, living there. I don't know if you know that part, but after World War II, Germany lost a lot of men, obviously, in the war. And so they invited... Uh, people from Turkey to come and rebuild Germany to help them rebuild Germany. So you have large populations of Turkish people living in Germany. But you know, you, you grow up together and and you're good. But now you had the East Germans coming from behind the wall, and they see it's like, hey, they have better jobs than we do. Uh, and they quickly forgot this. Like you were 40 years behind the wall. <laughs> it's 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 gonna take some time just to get you up to speed, basically. And, 
do you recall any other feelings um, even with the United States of America at that time when the world kind of opened back up and became what we thought was freer? I mean, what, I know how old you were because I was the same age. <laughs> so a yeah. lot of these things maybe not, you know, cross my mind, but do you recall any of those feelings or sentiments? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I don't. I feel like it was more about Germany and, and, and Germany coming together than the rest of the world. Um, and I know, to you know, that the U.S. definitely played a, an important role in that. But it was, I think everybody was excited just, to, you know, to be part of this historical event. And finally, you know, families coming together, friends coming back together that, that had been separated by, by the wall. I know David Hasselhoff played some songs. You didn't know he was, he's huge in Germany. Yes, he was. He's, he's, well, and I know the Scorpions made a great song about that, the winds of change. The winds of change, yeah, one of my favorite songs. Mine too. <laughs> Did you know anybody that was coming from out of that? No, but we, I didn't know anybody, but I, yeah, you always hear stories of people you know, being separated or families. And when we went back to take the kids over to, to Germany, show them, you know, you can see the trees of the wall. And the wall, in some cases, had been gone through neighborhoods. So people, Ooh. you had these stories of people, you know, jumping from the window just to make it over the wall. And, and, but if not, you were separated, you know, from, I mean, families were separated. That's insane. Can you even believe that? That's, That's crazy. So you go to Greece. And as we mentioned before, Miguel Stern. Am I taking over too much? No, that's good. I liked it. I didn't even stay there. I didn't even, I don't know why I didn't even think about the wall. So see, it's good to have a second brain, you know, second pair of eyes, a second brain. I don't know if I count for a full brain. (laughs) So you go to Greece. Uh, Miguel served a mission for our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He served a mission there for two years. And what was it like in Greece? So Greece, you know, I had a blast in Greece from a, from a missionary perspective, from a cultural perspective. I never expected to go to Greece. I thought, you know, with my Spanish Latin background, I would definitely serve a mission in, in South America or somewhere else like Greece. But uh, one thing that, that helped was knowing German and Spanish because the grammar was similar to German, the pronunciation similar to Spanish. Um, and so it did help me tremendously to, to learn the language quickly. Greece too was going interesting because they were going through the events of becoming part of the European Union. But the church is very integrated. The the Orthodox Greek church is very integrated into into the government. And I think that's why they sent about 50% of the missionaries were from Europe. So we didn't have to deal with the political aspect of being kicked out of the country or, or you know, get a visa or anything because we were part of the European Union. The American missionaries, they had to, I think we knew the visa every few months. I don't remember the time frame. But regardless, I mean, the Greeks, you know, their history had been a tough one too. They, they went through a lot of wars, so they were not very keen of the Germans, especially of the Germans. Mm. Um, but, uh, but from a historical aspect, I mean, I had a, I had a great time. Uh, and the good thing about having several names is that, you know, I could switch if they didn't like Germans. Hey, I'm Miguel <laughs> <laughs> from Uruguay. <laughs> oh, oh, that is too funny. Oh, that's funny. But it was great seeing history, you know, with your own eyes and places, you know, that mentioned in the, in the New Testament where Paul walked. 
when was the first time you came to America? <laughs> and what were your thoughts? Oh, first time I came to America was actually when I went to the MTC. That's the missionary training center. It's where the missionaries go and learn a little bit about what they're going to do <laughs> for, on their mission before they send them out. There's one in Provo, Utah. That's the one you came to, right? Yeah, Provo, Utah. The reason being that normally we would go to England, but the England one was being renovated, the, the missionary training center. So they sent us to the Provo one. In 92, 93, I went on mission. So you get uh, to America and what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so N Nicole actually picked me up with my sister and brother and, and Nicole had the great idea of you know, introducing me to some American food. So I had a Dr. Pepper, it was the first soda drink I ever had in my life. The first? And the first, uh, they, don't have, they don't have Dr. Pepper in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> and it reminded me a little bit of you know, soda mixed with toothpaste and I just couldn't drink it, I couldn't finish and she got an extra large and I just like, I was mesmerized by the size of the drinks, you know, in Germany, if, Mike would, would appreciate it, you know, you, you order a drink and, and, and they even have a line, you know, the soda cans up to where they fill up your, your, your drink and, and you cannot get a free refill anyway. But suddenly you get this, you know, gallon of soda there. And uh, so it was quite interesting. So we, we overindulge like, everything here. Yeah, I didn't like this to Dr. Pepper. Now I like it. Hey, you know, we have especially Dr. Dr. Pepper shake, one of my favorite ones. And uh, I don't remember what we had to eat, some hamburger, but I, but I did like it. And then the MTC was interesting to me because I've never seen that much food, excessive food in my whole life. I mean, coming from Uruguay to humbling beginnings there and then in Germany, I mean, you do have food, but it's not nothing like the US. You know, we, I, I think I gained, I don't know how many pounds at the MTC, just... <laughs> by trying different things and eating quite a bit there. So one of the funny stories on the MTC, just to give you a perspective of, you know, when, when you come from a different culture, not understanding some of the food concepts, do you know how the missionary training center is? You go and you have the cafeteria and basically you pick what you want. And I put my food and then I took a bowl and there was some ice cream. So I scooped the ice cream in my, my little bucket there, my little bowl. And then I saw some caramel sauce and I put it all over there and, and I ate my food and all the others. They were looking at me funny and so I finished my food and I took a spoonful of my dessert, what I thought it was vanilla ice cream with caramel sauce and it was butter with peanut butter sauce. And I'm just like, what the heck? It's like I've never seen so much butter in my life because <laughs> it were these, you know, aluminum containers. I thought it was ice cream. <laughs> so that was, that was funny. No, and it was interesting, you know, being, you know, my companionship you're putting with other people together. One was from Great Britain and the other one was from Belgium. So it was kind of interesting too, because, you know, we had to overcome our, our cultural, historical differences to get along and just work. And it was another testimony, you know, you just have to learn to get along with other cultures and, and, and understand each other. Which language did you find more difficult to learn? Greek or American or English? <laughs> it's American English. English. American English. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting too, because I thought I knew some English and I had English in class in Oxford English in, in school in Germany. When I came over here to the US, I couldn't understand a word. Oxford English. It's kind of like um, has, my husband speaks fluent French, but he cannot understand the Canadian French. So there is a difference <laughs> between the English English and the American English, right? 
There's definitely one, so I, I didn't understand anything basically. So in the beginning, it took me a while to understand, and I had to had a translator all the time, just until I, I started to get it. I don't know if you want to hear some funny stories too, but you know, obviously, fifty percent of the, my companions were Americans, and so when we were in Greece, people would come to me and say, "Hey, Miguel, say uh, I'm a friend of Saracona, or I will pump you up." And I'm just like, why would you tell me to say these things? I didn't get it <laughs> until I moved to the U.S. and watched, you know, The Terminator and some Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. <laughs> Your voice definitely has that vibe. So I never, I never heard Arnold speaking English with, you know, Austrian accent. And so it was kind of funny. Do you slide between the languages easily? It depends. So it, it, it might take me a little moment to warm up and then it all starts coming together, yes. Well, I still remember that time. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a funny story. I know where he's going with this. Your mom was visiting from Germany, and you had taught me how to say, how you doing, in, in German. And I said, when I came over to your house, I said, hey, Miguel, wie geht's? And you just went off in German. And I thought, oh, this is fun. I'm going to just sit here and act like I understand what he's saying and see how far he goes. And you must have talked to me for a minute and a half straight. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there nodding like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I think I threw a ya or a yavo in there once in a while. And then, <laughs> and then there was a pause and I finally said, you know, Miguel, I still don't speak German. And then <laughs> you, you both started laughing. That was, that was awesome. But no. you know, your, your ability to switch. From that, as soon as it clicked, you were, have you, you were right back. Have you done that a few times where you don't realize that you're speaking in a different language and it's like, oops? You know, it used to happen in the beginning. It used to happen all the time. It's that is like, you know, funny. Just, I would think in German and speak in German and people were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> now it happens often on, you know, where you have a word, I cannot, I cannot think of any word where I think it makes completely sense to me, but it doesn't make any sense to anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> that is and, uh, funny. So that's a con, I guess, of knowing too many languages. Sometimes it's, well, it all gets mixed up in your brain. That's too funny. And I gotta say, Miguel's pretty much a Renaissance man. I mean, the the guy's a world traveler. He speaks these languages. He plays the guitar. Yes, he does. He's very gifted with yes, that. I mean, you're you're about as close to a Renaissance man as I have for a friend. So. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty impressive. You gotta... You're kind. You have been in America how many years now, besides that little stint in well, Germany? Can, can I ask too, because I thought your question was good. What you didn't you didn't get to see a whole lot of America before you went to the missionary training center. So what was it like when you came back and you could actually move around a little bit more in society in America? What was that like after your mission? You know, that's that's a great question. You know, I um I don't remember much about the beginning. I just know that I, I loved it. It was, it felt like the land of opportunities. I mean, just a wide open land with a lot more opportunities that I, that I ever dreamed of. And, and I, I cannot think of anything but good things, you know, I mean, just, you know, from, from a job opportunity, I, I know, um, I don't know if I told you, you know, but I did, you know, had to work my, my way up. My first job that I had was, you know, being the mailman at a bank that was part of American Express. And so that's the first job I was able to get because we moved in, I think it was around November, December. So it was not easy to get a job and I was supposed to have a job lined up with another company. It didn't work out. And that's the only company that took me. And so I just took it and it was, 
I think it was making like, you know, $15,000 a year or something to that effect. Um, working as a mailman and uh, delivering mail around this bank. And then I applied for a job after a while and became a bank teller basically. And then um, moved my, my way up there through, through the ranks. Uh, but I think that's when it became obvious to me, you know, it's a land of opportunities. You just have to position yourself well and, and, and work hard and people notice your, your ethics and your work um, ethics and, and, and uh, you can, you can get higher than, um, or as high as you want to. Did you feel that way because of the open spaces or just in what ways was opportunity different here than say in Germany? Yeah, and if you know Europe, or especially Germany, so I don't know, I, I would think France are similar in some of the northern European countries where you basically, after school, you start uh, going into um, a certain working area and that's what you do the rest of your life. You know, you're, you're a mechanic and you study for, for mechanic and that's what you do the rest of your life. You study, you know, bakery and that's, that's what you do the rest of your life. You study accounting or a bank and that's what you do the rest of your life. And I felt here as like, hey, you, you can do something more general and then uh, opportunities will open up as, as you move along, but you're not stuck in a certain position for the rest of your life. You can really work hard and you can, you can move up. And thanks for saying that, because I, I think it's something that, you know, I've even forgotten. I think it was, I think it was similar in France or is similar. Now that you say that, I remember that. But I've had the opportunity not only to work with you, but other folks from uh, other countries. And in particular, I remember two women from Russia who worked with me and they would work so much overtime, it made my head spin. And I, I wondered why, and they said, well, it's because they pay us. <laughs> And I think Americans, people born here, just, and it's not necessarily our fault, but we just take for granted the opportunities that we have here. Uh, and then I, I hear so many stories from immigrants who come here with nothing, with absolutely nothing, or or their first job's making $15,000 a year. As a postman. As yeah. a mailman. <laughs> and, and you know, I, you're a modest guy, so I'm going to not be modest for you. Miguel is an extremely successful business person. I look up to him in many ways. He's he's gotten two degrees, I believe. Did you get your master's? You did, didn't you? I did, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yes. In essentially his fourth language, right? <laughs> yeah, in a fourth <laughs> language. Hard worker has gone up the ranks in society uh, and I look up to him in so many ways because of that, because I think the challenge for, like I said, a lot of us Americans who are born here, we just take things for granted. Uh, and so it's just, it's so great to have that reminder. Nicole, we got to say his wife is also a published author. Um, she wrote uh, Black Hearts, and you'll have to help me with the name of the sequel. Black, Black Souls. Black Souls, thank you. Yes, so Simon and Schuster, I believe, right? Yeah, with some of the truth. Yeah, that's correct. And the thing that I remember too about Castromans living next to them is they would keep trying. Yeah. One of the things that I really admire is that they would keep trying different things. There was 
the bounce houses. You the did bounce houses. You remember? Yeah, I can yes. remember the bounce houses. Um, you did the um, Kate, not the catering, but what was it? Where you were selling the, the German house? We sold um, bratwurst and sauerkraut in some. Yes, you were doing draper events. Yes, and <laughs> wasn't there something else too? I feel like there's something else he did. No, we we try that. So we uh, then he called. You know, we she um, she became published. She wanted to to write. And so we supported that um, and she became published um, of, of two wonderful books. So I really uh, appreciate that about the Castromans. They're great examples of not giving up and just to keep going even when things aren't going your way. They just kept going and going and going. Yep, we still talk about that. And I think Tina and I both knew Nicole would be published because that's just the spirit you have in your family. Oh, so. thank you. And I, on a side note, I have to mention this. I still miss your sauerkraut. He does. Miguel, <laughs> Miguel made me sauerkraut a few times. One time he made me a whole pot of it. And I just ate that right from the pot. It was, it was quite an experience. Yeah, we only did it once with the little, you know, bratwurst and sauerkraut there. But at least we tried out. We just wanted to see how it would be. And, uh, and the bounces, you know, we did it for quite many years. Even when we moved to Georgia, we still, we still, uh, we still did it for a while there. Yeah, and then the kids, you know, we had kids growing up, and so it became a little bit harder, so we just concentrated both on just her, her jobs and, uh, and then Nicole on writing. Yeah, and then we decided to move to Dallas about three years ago. And, um, but I think it's part of, you know, the, the, the American dream. I mean, you know, you, and you have to be open to it, you know, just to take chances. You have to be open just to, to try things out. Uh, not too long ago, you know, we tried something on Amazon. It just didn't work out you know, sell things on Amazon, but, uh, but at least we tried it out and see how, how that avenue would, would go. And sometimes you have to take little risks. Miguel, and, uh, are you an goes. American citizen yet? No, not yet. So I, I have a green card and I am working on becoming an American citizen. Why do you want to become an American citizen? So I decided, you know, after being here 20 plus years that it was, we're not planning on moving back to Germany anytime soon or anything. So we, I decided, you know, I'm going to be rooted here might as well become an American citizen. I did not want to lose a German citizenship though. So you do have to go through a process of, to maintain both citizenships. And um, so now with COVID, you know, it was a little bit hold back, but, uh, but I'm on track of, you know, hopefully becoming a US citizenship anytime. My last question that you can sum up in any way that you want. What does America mean to you? It means a lot to me. It means, you know, my family. It means um, opportunities. It means freedom to me. I mean, I mean, America always has treated me very well, very welcoming. But it's also with how you face America. Obviously, you know, you can have challenges. And I know that, you know, we, not everybody is on the same level. For me personally, I mean, my family has been great. And having my family here and, and having the things that we can afford for my family has been nothing but, but a blessing. We thought often about, you know, maybe we need to move back to Germany and Last time we moved here for work reasons, it just didn't work out. And we didn't feel like we, our mentality was, would do well in Germany anymore because of, you know, having lived here and, and being, I don't know, seeing more opportunities. But that's for me, you know, I do see that obviously as a nation, we still have a long ways to go. When well in Germany, you know, that could be adapted here. I think, you know, sometimes we have to open our mind and see, hey, how's another nation doing it? And could we adapt it here in the U.S.? You know, I think education, for example, you know, should be 
accessible to everybody and sometimes it's mind-boggling that we still have so many children it's not a given that they have access to to education or to health care you know it's one of those that, that comes every year up and and it boggles my mind why you know that why we're still such a great nation but still behind behind the eight ball in some of these with some of these issues there but on the other hand you know it provides a lot of opportunities for those that that want them and you just have to work hard for it awesome thank you miguel anything else you want to say that we missed no i i appreciate that you know it's it makes me think about how blessed i am sometimes i forget forget it you know I, um you know sometimes we take things for granted even growing up here you know i mean the houses we sometimes can afford and again i'm not speaking for everybody because i know there's some families that are really struggling and some people that that don't have the same blessings some you know due to to your your background your culture your upbringings i mean there's so much that defines who you who you are and who you can be but i think if if you if you the, the opportunities are there and you just have to tackle them and really know what do you want to do and then go for them go for it and, and it, but it's not easy it's not easy at, at no means but um i think the the key is just to keep trying and they're going to be failures and then if you don't try you don't know what success is so you you know trying is part of success miguel is the perfect example of pursuing america's opportunities to create the best life possible for his wife children and himself Michael and I are grateful for Miguel and Nicole's friendship. Remember to join me every Friday to hear another American story. Please share this podcast. Leave us a rating and a comment. Thank you for listening. And until next Friday, see you then.